You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by the McKinsey Quarterly. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm David Schwartz of McKinsey Publishing. Today, we're going to talk about competing in a world of sectors without borders, starting with some new perspectives that explore how much the competitive landscape may change over the next 10 years, right down to the very industry definitions, and what companies can do to avoid being left behind. Joining me to discuss the issues are Miklos Dietz, a senior partner in McKinsey's Vancouver office, and Venkat Atluri, a senior partner in our Chicago office. Miklos and Venkat, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, David. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Venkat, I'd like to start with definitions. Ecosystems is one of those words that has been tossed around a lot lately, but which can mean different things to different people. What's your definition? In a very simplistic sense, David, uh, our definition of uh, ecosystems is a complex network of interconnected businesses that depend on each other and feed on each other to deliver value for their customers, their end users, and their key stakeholders. For example, if you take Apple app ecosystem, in that ecosystem there are some contractual obligations on who gets to use what data and uh, how they're going to monetize the data, and also how they share the revenues that they get, uh, including uh, the share that the Apple gets versus uh, the, the share the app, app developers get. So, um, but going forward, we actually think that um, some of those uh, traditional ways of uh, forming ecosystems are going to get evolved. They could be um, very loosely defined relationship relationships or contracts between um, these various uh, parties that form an ecosystem in the definition that we just described. Uh, and we do believe that that's what's going to drive a lot of sectors to uh, blur the borders uh, between them. Miklos, what are some examples of ecosystems that you expect to emerge by 2025? And what characteristics stand out? Increasingly, when people are looking at housing in a digital way, they are looking at one integrated journey through which they can look for places, buy a house, get a mortgage, get home insurance, get moving services, get refurbishing, and then potentially also find somebody to sell to or go to a reverse mortgage structure or sell and lease back, i.e. almost everything related to buying and owning a property can be in one ecosystem. The same housing ecosystem is also connecting in concierge services, technology and house servicing from plumbing to even updating the latest technology. The same way we are seeing an ecosystem emerging around mobility, everything which is about buying a car, owning a car, sharing a car, getting somewhere. We see an ecosystem also emerging, not just in the retail world, but in the wholesale world, like B2B services, all accounting and banking uh, services uh, collapsing together with administrative services, uh, sales management, retail and other type of professional services. At the end, these are examples, and there can be very different outcomes in different countries and different parts of the world, but most likely they will emerge around the 
basic needs of individuals or organizations. Sure. And, you know, business segments and industry categories have always shifted and evolved in the past. Venkat, what's different about the dynamics that drive sectors without borders? There are three things that give us uh, quite a bit of excitement in terms of how the sectors uh, are evolving in, with respect to their borders. Um, the first thing that's different is technology has been, been around for a long time. Technology has is, uh, is always in, found, found a way to disrupt the way things get done in the business and otherwise. We're seeing an exponential uh, growth slash exponential effect on what technology could do for a player in one sector to go and capture value beyond their own sector. A good example of that would be uh, the, the ability to go and buy a compute power, uh, the ability to go buy compute storage. Not too long ago, uh, that wouldn't have been possible for either a startup or even a medium-sized company uh, unless you spend a lot of money. Now you actually can buy that on, on a per-use basis. That's quite different now versus five or six years ago. I, we, we continue to think that you know that's going to get cheaper, better, more accessible. Second thing, which is sort of the byproduct of that is, that's driving a pace of change and is accelerating the level of innovation, a level of potential for value delivery, uh, a lot more than we ever seen before. The effect of acceleration that the technology and data availability and, um, and that's having is, is really unprecedented. And lastly, uh, the third thing that also gives us quite a bit of an excitement is, the customer expectations or the, or the consumer expectations are evolving to a point where they're expecting you to, you as a service provider, you as a provider of uh, goods and services, to know what their needs are and serve those needs proactively. If you're comparing this historically, yes, there have all been, always been industries merging. And in addition to the big difference in speed, as Venkat was referring to, there is also a big difference in terms of the winner-takes-all nature of this transformation. In a heavily digitally driven uh, eco future ecosystems, the orchestrators, the operators who own the data and therefore can uh, be the first touch point and orchestrate and define what customers get and when and how. They will, get, will have disproportionate power over the whole value chain. So we are not just seeing value chains merging faster than ever before, but also the shift of value across these value chains are moving uh, is much faster than something we have seen, which creates a huge challenge for any company or organization who is involved in serving clients or distribution because it requires them to reinvent their strategy at a much faster speed, looking at a much broader horizon than ever before. Let me drill down a little bit on that. One way we can begin to conceive of sectors without borders is that we're seeing ecosystems already set in motion by the digital powerhouses. But Miklos, what do the changes mean for non-digital players? Are they destined to play second fiddle or be eclipsed entirely? Can they orchestrate their own ecosystems? I think it's a brilliant question. First and foremost, I'm not sure that there will be purely non-digital players. I think there are many businesses who are mainly focused on physical distribution or have important physical assets, but probably 
all businesses who are serving clients will collect data and will at least partially serve customers or drive customer processes digitally. So I think it's going to be less about digital versus non-digital, more about already advanced technology platforms compared to incumbent industries with more traditional business model. And if, if you ask it like that, I'm actually quite an optimist. I think that the future of these ecosystems have not been defined yet. Large incumbent businesses have plenty of competitive advantages from trust, brand, data, capital to be able to shape the future the emerging future of ecosystems, they can become crucial partners. It really depends on whether they are fast enough reinventing their business models and realizing that they are not just playing in their little industry anymore, but in a very different and much broader universe. If you take a look at the world of digital versus non-digital, and I agree with my good friend, Nicholas, that uh, I think there, there is no such thing as non-digital, you know, going forward 10, 15 years from now. But, but for now, for, for argument's sake, if you just say that that's the way the world is today, the so-called non-digital players actually have some critical assets, and Nicholas mentioned some of these. Uh, but just to add to what Nicholas mentioned, there are things like customer relationships, things like channel relationships. Uh, those are very, very hard for uh, these broader digital players to reestablish or put in place. Um, so I think that actually is going to help in these non-digital, so-called non-digital players quite a bit um, to carve out their, their position. And I'm, I'm equally optimistic, as, as Nicholas is, on their potential to uh, take advantage of these sectors without border strengths. Now, the second point is um, I think what is going to be a, a very interesting challenge for these, uh, these so-called non-digital players, currently non-digital players, is that their DNA, their capabilities of being able to take advantage of these technologies and being, being able to take advantage of the, the trends, um, that they have to really work hard at changing that DNA. And obviously, when we're talking 10 years out, it's hard enough to um, describe what's going to emerge, let alone how many, but I'll go ahead and ask, approximately how many large ecosystems uh, do you foresee? So we actually foresee one scenario when the current literally more than 100 different value chains and industries of which constitute the distribution of services and goods in the economy would collapse into just 12 large ecosystems. And obviously this is just a scenario. Uh, 12 large ecosystems which would connect practically all activities of one type, buying products, health, education, into a very, very large industry group. It would be multi-trillion dollar large ecosystems with a few large orchestrators, big winners, and a huge re uh, shift of wealth and value creation. Obviously, that would be just one stage. There are industry thinkers who are arguing that in the long-term future, there will be just one or two ecosystems, one B2C and one B2B. So maybe there is like further stages of evolution, but at least these 12 are ecosystems we are already seeing emerging. You had mentioned multi-trillion. Um, to drill down on the metric, how large are we talking about in terms of economic profit? And what does that mean if we were to put it in perspective to the economic profit that we see among industries today? So we are speaking about a 
historically unparalleled scale of value creation and uh, economic profit shift. If we are looking at the 2025 numbers, uh, we would see the total revenue covered by these large ecosystems being over 60 trillion. And the actual economic uh, profits in this system would be over a trillion dollars. Now, uh, that is important to say that the trillion dollars should not be compared to accounting profits. This is just the economic profit above the cost of capital earned by companies, which is ba basically the one which drives the, the value creation of new sectors, new industries. Just to, two other things to add to what, uh, what Nicholas said. One is just to put things in perspective, right? The 60 trillion that, um, that uh, Nicholas quoted, that is roughly one third of the total revenue pools that are projected to be uh, in the econo global economy. Uh, the, the total uh, revenue pools are about 190 trillion. So it's one third is what's going to get affected. That's an interesting uh, comparative statistic. The second point is the $1 trillion economic profit that Nicholas mentioned. It remains to be seen on how that's going to get redistributed. Some of us believe that uh, is going to get um, completed away or get um, in, in the form of consumer surplus, for example. And some of that is uh, obviously up for grabs for innovators and existing players to, uh, um, to capture or, or redistribute um, or reinvest. Let me touch on the, the most important technologies to survive and thrive in a world of sectors without borders. Um, we had mentioned, um, to some extent, mobile. Venkat, could you run through what you think are the most important technologies going forward? The way I would think about that, David, is um, we, um, there are the macro technologies we all talk about. Right? Undoubtedly, they'll have a significant impact on how the borders of sectors are going to get shaped. These would be uh, artificial intelligence, advanced analytics, uh, the whole uh, the, the whole macro trend of uh, mobile, not just mobility from a vehicles and people standpoint, but the, the mobile internet and so on and so forth. Uh, but there are some very interesting underlying micro trends uh, that are enabling um, these ecosystems to form and thrive. I'll just give you one example. Of all the things that we talk about and we think about, the API approach, the approach of you may have your own data system with company A, you may have your own data system company B and a different data system company C. But with the API type approach where one can share data across those three company platforms or one can share uh, analytic based insights across those three platforms, or one can share the actions that you could take through those, uh, across those platforms through APIs. I think those are the kinds of enablers um, that are driven by these technologies would actually um, are, are going to make a big difference for us. And how about the human side, uh, uh, Miklos? With technology such a game changer, what part will emotional connections, such as brand loyalty and trust, play in the mix? I would argue that this is not just about technology. The real reason why we are seeing the acceleration of uh, sectors merging into each other, borders between industries going down and the emerging ecosystems, is because 
of an extraordinary combination of supply and demand meeting. The supply is technology, which Venkat has described change, radical changes in the cost of computing, mobile access, ability to big data. But the demand side is human. It is actually a natural human need which is evolutionarily programmed into us, and it has always been in our brains, that we want things immediately. We don't want the hustle. We want to maximize enjoyment. We want to get things ideally as easy and as simply as we can. So in this respect, what simply happens is technology is finally ready to realize deep human need which we had and our grandmothers had when they were waiting in huge lines in the post, right? They, they also wanted emails, they just didn't know that at that time it did not, could not happen. Now, of course, it is a more nuanced game and of course your question has a lot of merit, right? Because technology changes human behavior and human expectations, willingness to wait, how humans are being influenced. We already see radical changes on how people are collecting information, how people are making decisions, how people are defining uh, their views, whether it's economic or political. And there is no question that these emerging ecosystem works will further accelerate uh, these changes. But these changes are still not inhuman. It is just a different way of serving uh, deep human needs. Very interesting. Venkat, how should a CEO think about what's needed to compete in a world of sectors without borders, and what are some immediate to-dos? CEOs, uh, the way they have to think about uh, sectors without borders and the ecosystems that are evolving and how to leverage them, it really comes down to the mindset. Having the mindset that uh, it is the sum of parts are going to be larger than the, uh, uh, larger than the parts themselves. And if you have that belief, you may rethink everything that you do in your business. Um, so, for example, if you're a player that's making widgets, but uh, the widgets can offer a bunch of different services beyond the widgets, who are other players that, that you could go and work with to deliver something more than just a widget could do for a customer? Second, not in any particular priority order, uh, it's also very important to uh, use data uh, follow the data, leverage the data. And it may not be the data that just you, you have. It's the collective data that you could get access to, the data from you, your partners, your suppliers. And then third, um, it also is very important to establish, and we mentioned this earlier in, um, in the discussion, establish a strong connection to the, to, the, to the end users and customers. And sometimes you get to own it, sometimes you get get to share it, and sometimes you get to depend on somebody else to give you that access. But nonetheless, having that strong tie uh, and with, with the customers and the end users and leveraging that is quite important. And, and by the way, what level of customer intimacy you have, whether you own the customer, whether you, own, you share it somebody else or you leverage somebody else's, also determines what role you play in, in the ecosystem. And then lastly, in a lot of times we see companies, uh, management teams, and CEOs uh, really get very uh, very excited about going and uh, striking partnerships. And some of that is good, but we urge CEOs to think not less about just the one partnership, more about what's the ecosystem you're building with your partnership mindset. And what role are you playing? 
your question was also very much focused on the short term, right? I think nobody can know the future, and you cannot ask a CEO of an organization to look into the future with a 2024 site and explain this is exactly what our business model will be. That is just simply not an option. I think, however, there are, there are certain extremely practical things everybody needs to consider. And the most important is to make sure that at least every large organization, medium-sized organization, has a vision of how the future will look like when competition will come from other sectors, when instead of individual industries, there will be larger ecosystems. Let at least make sure that any organization has a global vision of what business models are working, what not. Let at least any organization make sure that there is enough adaptability in the strategy, in IT, in operations, in processes that quick, much quicker, their directional changes are possible than now. This will be a very exciting but also highly challenging time to steer and navig uh, navigate a company through such changes. Let's talk about the a partnership paradigm, which we've been discussing partners and the ways in which one can reach across and uh, interact with those who may not necessarily play within their space. One of the instincts when there are major changes on the horizon is just to open up your checkbook, as it were. Uh, Miklos, understanding that every case is unique, what's your perspective as a general matter about partnering versus acquiring? So first and foremost, to me, this is not necessarily the binary. We are seeing a much more nuanced and more uh, kind of more continuous space evolving with exclusive partnerships, JVs, uh, joint businesses. I think it's a more complex universe which companies will have to, will have to uh, navigate. For sure, though, and I think your question is brilliant because for sure companies will have to be very careful of not trying to spend their way out of this. The emergence of ecosystems does not give justification to start to build huge conglomerates of unrelated businesses. In fact, what we increasingly see is the value goes to orchestr asset light orchestrators. Many of the biggest winners are actually companies which are in the middle and just connecting the dots. So one thing which people have to be very careful about is not to translate this into holding building, but more define into reinventing the business model and reinventing how customer value proposition is being created. Terrific. Uh, Miklos and Venkat, thank you both. For more about Sectors Without Borders and competing in that world, we invite everyone to please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.